learn about the earth, love the earth, appreciate the life that we're given from our mother earth, Papa Tuanuku. Without it, we have nothing. This podcast series leverages the beauty and riches of culture, diversity, and highlights the many stories that make up Western Sydney. We want to break through the stereotypes of what it means to be Australian and celebrate the strengths and uniqueness of our vibrant, thriving community. This is Same Same Different. This is Western Sydney. Share your journey. Tell your story. Speak your mind. Find your voice. joined here today with Mary Jane Kevin. Thank you so much from the same same different team and me for being here. It's really important in my opinion to share stories and your story is amazing. Thank you very much for being here. We'll just begin with your story. Start wherever you like. Sure, thank you first of all for having me. My name is Mary Jane McKibben Schwenke. My maiden name is McKibben. My father was Irish but raised in New Zealand. He ended up there. His father had returned from the war. And when he returned home to Belfast, the entire block was bombed, obliterated, and his family was no longer. So he boarded a boat, didn't know where it was going, ended up in New Zealand. And that's how my father came to be a New Zealand Irish. My mother is Samoan, and she's full-blooded from a very remote village called Awala, on the big island of Sabai. And I'm married to a Samoan man who is also of German and Chinese heritage, but born and raised in Samoan. I am a proud Pacific Islander. I'm an advocate for climate change. As you know, Pacific people are at the forefront of climate change and what is going to come in the future. Many islands are going to be lost if something isn't done immediately. And I run a Pacific Cultural Center in Liverpool, which I'm extremely proud of. I've come to love this area. I love the people. I love the diversity. And I love the community. You know, there are many ideas that people from outside of this area have about this place. And it's quite ignorant because every place has pockets that are dangerous or where people are still trying to find their way. Lots of people from all over the world reside here and they come with them beautiful cultures and languages and expressions that are misunderstood often. So Liverpool has given us a chance to have this Pacific Centre where we have about 300 students of all over the Pacific, even Lebanese people come, we have Africans, and we come under this very small warehouse that we've turned into a cultural centre and we learn about one another. We dance and we sing, we tell stories. And the hope is that our people will come away from Matavai being positive contributors to society because we are grateful for the land that we live on and the opportunities that Australia offers us. It's amazing the fact that you talked about the stereotypes that apply to people from our community. That's the whole purpose of this podcast is to bring out those stories that more than just the stereotypes. So thank you. I just wanted to go and talk about your childhood growing up, you know, your experience growing up being of Irish background and Samoan background. Yeah, I think one word that always comes to mind is belonging. I often felt like I didn't belong anywhere except for my mum's village where 
we are loved because there are people in that village that know me before I existed. They know my history, they know my ancestors, they know what my grandfather and grandparents were known for. So they already knew me. And that was the only place I felt like I belonged. And because, of course, my father isn't from New Zealand, so they've had to make that home in New Zealand. So I didn't really connect, connect. But I love Aotearoa and the Māori part of Aotearoa. I didn't belong because I was sometimes too white for my school in Samoa. I was too black for my school in Wollongong. And I just didn't fit in anywhere. People often couldn't understand where Samoa was. If I would tell them I'm from Samoa, they would think I said Somalia. And then I just didn't know how to explain myself. And it was always about explaining who I was instead of just being me and my name. And even my own family, my own Samoan side, I didn't really feel like I belonged there either. You know, there was racism on both sides. And the only way I could find myself is through learning about my identity. Who am I really? And I'm a Samoan and I love the values that our Samoan culture teaches us of love, community and service. So I just really had to fight through it. I became Miss Samoa in 1997. And when I entered the pageant, I was asked to take myself out of it by the organizers, not because they wanted me to, but there was a little bit of uproar from people that said I shouldn't be in a pageant because I'm from Australia, I'm not Samoan. And so there was a few write-ups in the paper because we didn't have social media then, thank goodness. And as the organizer, who is a dear friend of mine now, she said, look, you have an option. You can either stay or you could perhaps not enter the pageant this time because there's too much going on around your presence. An 18-year-old, I didn't have my parents with me. They were still here in Australia. I chose to go to Samoa. After a bit of thought, I said, if I was to take myself out, then everything those people say is true. So I will stay in the pageant and I'll go in the pageant and I will prove who I am. Unfortunately, I had to do that at 18. But it was the beginning of my journey and the beginning of me at 41 trying to help other people find themselves. And you will often find even full-blooded Samoan kids that live in Sydney say they often feel racism from our own people. They be called plastic because they live in Australia. So I can only offer my experience and how I overcome those trials because it actually hurts, you know. You already have lack of acceptance from non-islanders, like the Western society. And then your own people, you know, hurt you with words. And that's just one tiny layer of the struggles that Pacific people have growing up in as a minority in this country. Yeah. And it might seem meaningless, but it's not really because everything about being a Samoan is your identity. Who do you come from? Who are your ancestors? Where are your roots? What is your name, your last name? And then from your last name, they will identify who you belong to. It's amazing. And what you were saying about your decision to continue on to be a part of the Nisamoa pageant, I feel like that opened so many more doors to, because I know that pageants like Nisamoa, Miss Cook Islands, 
if they still go on and I know so many people that are not full-blooded Pacific Islanders and you know to think that your decision to do that set the tone for all the future generations so thank you that's amazing you mentioned racism from both the communities I just wanted to talk more about that would they call you plastic or would they call you other names back then it wasn't plastic it was balangi afkasi which means half caste and that's a horrible term you yeah. know I don't like using that term because if someone tells you I'm an Indian or I'm yeah. a Samoan, you believe them. You take that. But, you know, when you get, but you're white, you know, your nose is too pointy. How ridiculous is that? No, yeah. you just have to accept people for who they say they are. And when I say I'm Samoan, I'm encompassing a value, a feeling that is within me because we are nurtured to love our community and Statistically, when I look at us here in Sydney, our kids are killing themselves and our, our, our boys and our girls are ending up in jail at such a young age. And I cannot, I'm not okay with that, you know, because that is not who we are. I, I can't change a lot, but I can react to it. And the only way I can react to it is by helping other people get through these challenges by equipping them with their knowledge of their history because with that knowledge comes strength. We are often told that we are less than, we are small coconuts, you know, we are small little islands drifting in Pacific Ocean, but we're actually the biggest nation in the world if you combine all of our islands. We had ancestors that founded 22,000 islands. So we're not small and we're not just coconuts. So when I get told or face racism, it's so superficial. It doesn't matter to me. So I just prove who they are, who I am by my actions. And that's just to be positive. I'm a positive person to my people and to the community that I now live in. And did you growing up have a support system like your parents? Were you able to talk to them about your experiences or someone that was also experiencing what you would experience and come together, discuss, find out ways that you can move forward? Church was a big thing, but it was also everyone was dealing with their own emotions. So I didn't feel fully supported there, but I learnt my language a lot more there and the culture in church here in Sydney. I had friends or cousins, but no, mainly it was just an internalised thing. You couldn't find a centre like Matavai, a Pacific cultural centre, so I would watch videos of the Polynesian Cultural Centre, which is in Hawaii. It's the biggest centre in the world. Lots of tourists go there to learn about our culture. And I used to watch the same two videos over and over again every afternoon. And I would watch Te Wila Cultural Festivals, which is the Samoan festivals, on the videos. And that's how I dealt with it. I just learnt. I taught myself. And that's it. So would you say that's also what inspired you to go move into a pageant scene and also your background with radio work and yeah when I was five we moved back to Samoa I lived half my life in Samoa a little bit of my life in New Zealand and another huge part of my life in Australia when we moved back to Samoa I can remember that a little bit better than when I was much younger I came to really get to know my grandfather his name was Moe Ai 
and he was a hundred of a hundred. I also had a grandmother who lived to over a hundred, 113. And I would often sit there and whilst my siblings were running around outside, I would sit and I would listen to his stories. My love for him was so deep and I do not understand to this day why, but I would hang on every word. And there are so many things that have happened in my life that go back to that man. Everything I am is to ensure that his legacy will never die. He was a very poor man, didn't have much, but he gave me a wealth of wisdom and knowledge at a young age. I've named my two girls after him, Moe Moana and Moe Atalangi. His chief name was Moe. And I just lived to be like him and that people will remember a man like that existed. That's amazing as well. He, I actually turned out later on after maybe a few years ago, I read a book and whenever I dance, I tell a story of what this dance means. It's a tawalunga. Tawalunga means the finishing of a house. In our traditional fales or houses, we never use nails. We use what is called afa, which is sinnet from a coconut husk that is woven and it's like making wool. And I found his name in a book that the University of Hawaii uses and it turned out he was one of four, only four master builders, renowned in Samoa for building these houses. And he was known for his tawalunga, for the way he would finish the house off with this kafa or afa because they used to make intricate patterns with this coconut sinnet. They would dye some black, some would be brown. And that is exactly what I used to talk about. And then I realized later that that was what he was renowned for. And I often spoke about it without even knowing. Matavai, the center we now have, was named after Matavai Bay in Tahiti, which is the place the first Western explorers landed in Polynesia. It was the first written accounts of Polynesia. And they wrote many things, one of which I cling to was it talked about. Polynesian people were joyful and family oriented and safe. There was a few words thrown out and I wanted to create a space in Sydney like that, joyful and safe and happy. And that's how we came up with the word Matavai. Matavai means, Mata means I and Vai means water. So it essentially means eye of the water or source of the water. Without water, we perish. Without our culture, as a people, we also perish. Later on, about three months later, I didn't know my mother's grandmother because she had passed away. And my mother turned to me and she said, did you know that Matavai is the village your grandmother comes from in Samoa? It's pronounced Matavai. And I said, no, I didn't know that. And she said, is that why you named the center Matavai? I said, no, it's named after Tahiti. So there was that that appeared. And these, these are things in our culture. Those are your ancestors speaking to you without even knowing. Because about a year prior, my son was born and a nurse stood over my bed at two in the morning and spoke some very profound things to me that she could not have possibly known. And she spoke and said that there were ancestors around my bed telling me to come back to my culture because I had turned my back on it. So there were a lot of things that were happening and it's still to this day happen that give me signs that I'm on the right track. And as much as it's very hard 
to run a Pacific Centre with very limited funding. A lot of our time goes into it. I have a lot of sacrifices. My children miss out on a lot. I know that it's beyond me. I have to do this because there's people that need it. And I pray and hope that maybe someone will come and I can hand the baton to, maybe my children, maybe someone else. But I know that I've done my purpose in my life. You said that the nurse told you that your ancestors were telling you that you had turned your back on your culture. What did that mean to you? In what way did you see that you had actually done that? I had done a movie when I got to New Zealand, 2002, Sione's Wedding. Absolutely, you know, very appreciative of the opportunity. It was one of the most life-changing things that I've ever done. One of the first specific movies that have ever been out on theatre. Huge celebration, very big deal for Pacific people everywhere. I took the movie role on after a couple of years of being asked. You have to understand, I've just come from Samoa. For many years I lived there and when you say movie, I was not ready. But then also I didn't expect that it was a movie like you'll sit in a theatre. It's just, they were like brothers. So I thought, oh, yeah. I played a role called Princess. She was this maiden from Samoa who was a bit cheeky, you know, very, very confident. Um, not your average Samoan girl. And she was a bit risque. There was like a, a nude scene, which was not my body. My family had watched it in Australia and they're extremely angry about it. Samoa hadn't taken it very well. Yeah. And the premiere was in Samoa. I, I recall there being an article about me, you know, being that I was Miss Samoa previous years. And then I've gone and portrayed myself this way on, on a film. So I was getting a lot of, you know, feedback. It was just out of my innocence and ignorance. I didn't know that it was going to be so huge. My mom didn't speak to me for three months. This was supposed to be the highlight of my life. You know, you're in a movie and all over the world. But being Samoan, you know, you always pay first respect to your family. And so I came, I returned from New Zealand, packed up my family and returned home to make things better with my family. I remember my first barbecue with the whole family and nobody really spoke to me. And they were very disappointed. <laughs> and it actually set me into a depression. And I'm not gonna blame, it was definitely not, the, it was my, the way I took, the way I dealt with it myself. You can't blame externals like that. So I didn't want to be Pacific and I wanted to hide, to be honest, at 30 years old. Yeah. I'm hiding in Wollongong where there's very little Pacific people. And at that time in the hospital, I'd had my third child. It was 2012. So that's a good four years in Australia where I was hiding away. And that's when the nurse spoke to me. And she described my auntie to a T and my grandfather who was standing on the left of me next to my bed. And I don't know if you can imagine how surreal that is at two in the morning that a random nurse is standing and it's probably even illegal that she did that but something had told her to come and speak to me and I also thought that maybe she had read my file because she knew about the movie she knew about my cultural background she knew about my love for dancing and she also knew at that time that I was battling my own career. I didn't know who I wanted to be because that's all I was. I knew myself to be was a Pacific dancer. 
And then she said, they say that if you turn back to your Pacific cultural roots, you will find your career and you will understand what your purpose is. Crazy things like that. About a year and a half later, my daughter would come home, we'd turn on the news and there'd be stories. Pacific Islander committed this crime. Statistics telling me that 7% of the juvenile justice was made up of Pacific people, young people. We only make up 1.3% of New South Wales population and yet 7% are in. And then my child turned to me and said, I'm ashamed to be a Pacific person. And so that was what, you know, broke the camel's back. I, I knew that I had to react somewhere. Yeah. So we put an ad out for dancing and we got about 60 kids. And then by the second term, there was over 100 kids registered and we had nowhere to go. So we found an old decrepit warehouse on very limited money and we fixed it up and the community came and helped because they saw the need. And that's where it is, 300 kids later. We've been on two cultural excursions, one to Samoa, one to New Zealand. We are nurturing, we are making leaders. You know, our kids are doing incredible things, speaking out, activists, leading climate change activism, speaking up against, you know, gender roles and traveling the world. And they're coming out of this place. Yeah, that's truly amazing. And would you say that, you know, your journey in creating Matsubai Cultural Centre helped you mend your relationship with your culture, building that relationship back up with your family, the people that you said at that barbecue didn't even talk to you? Yeah. As a Samoan, your first thing you are taught, respect and humility. It was at that point I realised what humility truly was because I had to humble myself. And this is my family and without them I wouldn't be who I am. So I respected them immensely. I think that Matavai has built the relationship but also has helped me realise just how extensive colonisation, the damage it's done to my people. And it's time to decolonise the Pacific. We are enough. If you learn our cultures and the real essence of our people, the world could learn a thing or two from Indigenous people. Aboriginals, their connection and deep understanding of the environment, their knowledge of medicines, natural medicines that can cure and have cured for centuries. Thousands of years old is our culture, Aboriginals. Of course, the oldest culture in the world. Why are we not asking these people for some of the answers to the world's problems. Our people live in peace. You know, they've had civil wars, of course, but it's because of influences from the outside. Late 1800s, German, Britain, America, they were busy in the Pacific causing wars, turning people against each other, trying to divide and conquer, bringing sicknesses that didn't exist, bringing alcohol, killing our people. There were genocides that are not spoken about. And the generational trauma I'm talking about comes from those times in our history. And whilst we don't blame anyone, it has to be addressed. We didn't have counsellors. We didn't have psychologists. We were just meant to deal with the fact that many of our leaders were murdered. 1914, I believe, the influenza epidemic wiped out 20% of our people and many of them were our chiefs and our leaders. 
So many families were left with having to bestow chiefly titles on young people who had no experience in life. So that unwavering events in our history, we're seeing the repercussions of it today. And hence why our kids are acting up the way they are. Their suicide rate is skyrocketing. And there's a mass confusion. Religion plays a huge part because I'm talking about spirituality and saying my ancestors visit me, but religiously, Christian religions probably frown upon that. No, you can't. There's probably the devil that visited you. So it's confusing. Is it our ancestors or is it the devil? And our kids, like that's me, just me and my experience, but what about what our kids say, sit through a Sunday service and hear you are good or bad, there's no in between. And they're going out and doing something wrong and the guilt in them and the fear, because parents are very strict, that they feel like there's no other way but to take their own life. So internally, there has to be changes with how we deal with our kids. It used to be elders are the ones that speak, and I get that. But today we need to listen to our kids because they have the answers to these problems. And perhaps pre-colonization, maybe we did listen to our kids more. That's why we were able to survive for so long. I believe we're in a world now where we don't help one another anymore, especially in Sydney. You know, you go out on the road and you park somewhere you shouldn't and people go out of their way to just take their rage out on you. And our kids are like messing up, but your kids, your kid, my kid, no. And our culture, it takes a village to raise a child. And we have to go back to those ways. We must look out for one another's children, whether they're English, Australian, Aboriginal, we have to, each one of us, look out for our kids. And so we start small with Matavai. Social media is the devil. And it's beautiful, but there is an evil lingering in social media that is affecting our kids and trying to keep up with somebody else. You just don't ever feel good enough. And Matavai is about you are enough. If you have a scar on your face, that's beautiful. How'd you get, it's a story. It's your story. It's what makes you. And that's what we need more of, not all these sheep following the same trend. You're talking about listening to the kids with Matavai from where you started to where you are now. How would you say you've learned from these children that you're teaching? I used to be very strict because I was brought up as a cultural dance practitioner, very strict. So I wasn't allowed to back chat. My kids don't back chat me, but I've learned to tone down my approach because mental health is a real thing and I have to be very careful. But then I've had to learn either I compromise discipline and be laid back in my approach or I find an in-between. And so my in-between is I still discipline them. I constructively give them feedback, but I have people around me. I have counselors, I've got ex NRL players. So when I'm disciplining them and I'm telling them, I'm giving them confrontational information about their behaviors and how they could be better. I have a team that come in, like for instance on Wednesday and I leave the room 
and they come in and they leave them with a positive note and they cushion any ill feelings the kids have. So we have a team and that's something we have a Fijian, Samoan, Tongans, all different backgrounds. And they come and make sure each kid's all right. Each child looks out for one another. Parents look out for each other. We're very mindful of behaviours. You know, if we see cuts on arms, if we see some of the kids that are too loud, overcompensating, those are the kids we keep a close eye on. And we have a committee of counsellors to psychologists who are parents that bring their kids, but they're also got their finger on the pulse. Like if I have an issue or I'm suspecting an attempted suicide or I've been approached, there has. We've only had one so far, touch wood. We have a whole team that jumps in. I have no idea where they've come from. They've just come. That's, that's truly amazing. You know, when you think about a cultural centre, you don't think about, <laughs> you know, when I found out that it's called Matsubai Pacific Cultural Arts, I was thinking just teaching dance and songs, but that's so much more yeah. than what from the outside looks. So one song can talk about a historical event. So we don't just teach a dance. The song has to resonate with something historical or cultural. There is no Pacific song you'll find that doesn't speak of love and doesn't have a historical attachment. So a whole term can just be on one dance, one song, but can be a full-blown historical curriculum on a particular event. So it's not just dance. And, and we have really drawn connections between the islands that these kids did not know existed. There's a huge social issue at the moment and has been for a long time, Tongans against Samoans young people fighting one another here in Sydney. There's code wars. Little do these kids know that the head of state of Samoa and the last uh, king of Tonga, Taufahau and Malito, were the best of friends. They relied on each other for so much. This was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And I was privy to this relationship because I would often travel to Tonga and watch the Tongan king come to Samoa. And I admire their relationship. And this is what I also share with the kids. Their ignorance has to change. This is not who we are. I think it's brilliant that Tonga came in and conquered Samoa, went and helped Fiji find their independence. I think those kind of stories are brilliant, but it's not who we are. We married one another. We traveled freely on canoes to and from. We had trade routes going all the time. We were one people, one language. We have a belief called Hawaii. We all came from Hawaii. And theories are now saying Hawaii was Savai in Samoa. So we're now tracing the roots of where we came from in the islands. And these are knowledges that we are sharing, wisdom we're sharing with the kids to try and help them or stop them from fighting one another. Why would you fight each other, a minority, when the world is fighting us to, why would you turn on each other? Right now, our biggest fight should be saving our islands from going underwater. That's the biggest fight we have right now. There may not exist a Tonga or a Samoa, and our churches need to be telling our kids these stories because they are very real. We have had so many islands go under. Kiribati, three and a half thousand year old country, culture, no, it's way older country, but the culture, 
it's not going to exist very soon. They've relocated. There's now a thing called climate change refugees, which we've never heard of in the past. So you're contending with refugees that are stricken by war, but now you've got this problem. And this is the biggest fight we have right now. I know that you're very passionate about climate change and, you know, some people don't believe in it, the reality of the realness of it, especially right now, this week alone, there's a lot of peaceful protests going on, but there are also some violent ones that the government is shilling upon. How would you say that, you know, you want to put the message out there and how are you teaching your children, the people that you have access to about climate change? We might be insignificant to the Western world, It's our home. There are real people that live there and there are... Then they're a loving race. You know, we are a loving, caring, wonderful race that the world needs. And uh, in a world of such hate and despair, and you want to cast aside a people that are just, at the core of them is love, you know? And that's a sad reality. Imagine not being able to visit your mom's grave or your grandparents' grave or saying you're from a place that doesn't exist anymore and knowing that forevermore it's never going to come back and how lost will a whole generation of people be? And it's a loss that it's just inhumane. It's it's inhumane. You know, we, we went on a tour recently, a cultural excursion to Aotearoa, New Zealand. And often people portray the Maori people as these savages, as they do in many of the islands, because it sells tourism dollars and it's interesting. They often portray us as dusky maidens and, you know, these less intelligent people. But when we were there, we had to make costumes and the costumes, we're resourceful. So we use what we have and we return what we have back to the land, which is how life should be. So when we go cut down a tree or a leaf or we must pray first to Tane, the rainforest god, this is the Maori beliefs, and pay homage to Papatuanuku, which is Mother Earth. Before cutting down a plant, they're a living, breathing being. And that's the kind of level of respect that our cultures have for the earth, that you pray and you say thank you before you take. And then when you're done with it, you return it. Why would you want to eradicate a race like that? That's it's crazy. So... Our culture could teach so much to the world and we're in this mess because of globalization, westernization, because of money, I should say, because of money. But you can't eat money, you can't, you don't die with money. All you have are your bones that goes into the earth again. There's no more respect for our earth and our people respect the earth because we are custodians of the earth. We don't own the earth. 
without it, we are nothing. It's so simple. <laughs> Just going back to Matavai, you talked about your grandfather. He was your support system, your link to your culture, the person that you look to. Would you say that with Matavai Pacific Culture Centre, that that is what it is for these children that come there to learn? Yes because they come and they're encouraged to speak to their grandparents or their aunties or uncles. They're encouraged to learn about their village. They're encouraged to learn about their name. And often they learn legends and the legends often pertain to where they're from. And there are amazing stories about, you know, great warriors like, or very intelligent people or navigators, pioneers and they learn this. And this is how we infiltrate the climate change information into our kids. And often when we say to the kids, imagine if you know, your island didn't exist, they often cry. And these are five-year-olds. So the more they learn about who they are, and because they won't learn it at school, we are brilliant scientists. We know so much about the moon and the elements. We were the most brilliant navigators in the world and our warriors that are renowned were peacemakers and they were movers and shakers and these are the things our kids learn about themselves and when they find importance in themselves through these stories, through the affirmation of the truth of who they are, then they will find empowerment to stand up and not fear the colonizers. And that can be, you know, the system or they can't be fearful. They have to rise above it and fight back, not in an aggressive way, just intellectually, intelligently, go to school, stay in school, learn how to deal with the Western world and maintain their culture at the same time. And this is how we encourage. So a lot of our kids graduate from HSC. They go into university. We've got kids doing law now which we never had five years ago when we started. We've got three law students. We've got people doing social working. We've got kids now wanting to be anthropologists. They're going to the islands, going into the universities there and learning. So this is small, but these people, these kids are going to be there. They're going to change the landscape of how we know Pacific to be. And it's decolonizing our way we think and the Pacific. Tahiti is colonised by France, New Zealand is colonised by Britain, and to some extent China has got a huge hand in the Pacific, but they also pump a lot of funding, much needed funding to build infrastructure. So what these kids are contending with is not just climate change, it's power, it's money. It's really a privilege for me to be in a presence song that's so well-founded in their purpose and what you're doing for the community. It's really admirable. So thank you thank once again, you. Mary Jane. I just wanted to ask you about if people that are listening want to be a part of Matavai, what are we looking at, like membership fees? Like where are you located? How do they find out and to be part of? We're in Preston's, Liverpool, and we have a website, matavai, M-A-T-A-V-A-I.com.au, and the fees is just $12 a class. But... If there are people listening that can't afford it, that's fine too. Just communicate with us. There's always a way we keep the doors open and anyone and everyone is welcome to come. We did a community holiday program a few years ago and the majority were Islamic kids 
a lot of them from the Middle East, Iraq, Iran. And when we started talking about culture and showing them artifacts from a they started to draw the lines between our cultures and our beliefs and theirs. So conversations started between these young kids and us, and it made the world seem a little bit smaller and a little bit more welcoming. So anyone is welcome because there are theories that also say that Polynesian people came from the Middle East. So it's just fascinating to learn about one another and the beauty, the unique beauty of each and every place in this world, whether they are, you know, ravaged by war or, you know, experiencing hunger or whatever it is that brought them to Australia, Sydney, there's a place in Liverpool where you can come and be exactly who you are and there are no judgments and we welcome anybody. I think being an immigrant myself, I grew up in New Zealand, being around a lot of Pacific Islanders, I was lucky enough to see the links between my own culture and the Pacific Islander culture and it's just, you know, it comes down to the reality that we're all one, yeah. we're all the same and we have to look out for each other. I just wanted to talk about your impressive awards and whatnot. So you've won the New South Wales Pacific Council Business Year Award, one of six. You've received an overall Pacific Woman of the Year Award in 2017 for Australia. You've spoken and presented two years for the NRL Pacific Youth Summits. Um, and you've been a guest speaker for the Pacific Business and Sports Network. When you were experiencing what were you thinking and also what is your goal going forward? Whenever I have that privilege of speaking, I know I'm speaking for a very important purpose and I don't take it lightly, but I can only speak from my heart and what I know. One of those awards too is our young people have been awarded as well. We've received a Zest Award for one of our dancers for her work in climate change and uh, community work. And two of our students this year had also taken out awards at New South Wales Pacific Awards. I think it was Volunteer and Sportsperson of the Year. So with the awards, I guess it's nice to be acknowledged, but it's even better to know that this work is going to continue on because, you know, we do need more support. We don't have time. We don't know how to apply for funding because we only know what we know. So we need more support to create a Pacific centre that is going to be able to house cultures like Kiribati and the ones that are going to be displaced very soon. Going forward, we would like to open a Pacific Cultural Centre, which will also have an arm, of course, most importantly, Australian Indigenous Cultural Centre is foremost important, but to also have a Pacific Centre to rival the one that is in Hawaii, Polynesian Cultural Centre, because I felt on my last visit it became very tourist-oriented rather than it had lost its authentic, organic, Pacific feel. It was just about money, you know. But this Pacific centre will be a place where we can practice our cultures, our arts, and also be very interesting for people to come and join in on and learn something about themselves and something about this part of the world that is perhaps not going to be around in 50 to 100 years, it would be something that they can hold on to and something that we can always have. So we're at the grounds 
level where we're training the kids because these will be the kids that will work in the centre because they have the information now that they need. So that is what our ultimate goal is. And why not in Sydney? Why not in Australia, the capital of the Pacific? When the Pacific Forum takes place, everyone looks up to Australia. Unfortunately, our Prime Minister really hurt a lot of our leaders this year, so much so that the Tongan Prime Minister cried and he passed away actually recently. And we believe, you know, that it had a lot to do with the fact that they felt so helpless that Scott Morrison had gone and professed that there is no climate crisis, you know, almost just treated us like such insignificant people that it hurt literally hurt our leaders so they've got to find that strength which they are so that is what my hope is that we can open something like that here and why just pacific why not open it up to other other countries you know india iran where they can come and have hubs for themselves and show the world who they are you know why not i agree with you that's really important to the people listening, what is your message to them? What can they do about climate change? Wow. Advocate, not violently, to the Pacific people. That is not the way to go, you know. If you look at the Pacific leaders of our past, they were peaceful. You know, I could name leaders from Hawaii, from Samoa. There was one particular leader, the head of state of Samoa, Tamasesu, who was shot and killed on the main road He was part of a peaceful march for independence and he was shot by the New Zealand administration. Upon his deathbed, he said, keep the peace at all costs. You know, that's the only way forward. If we are going to make a change, do it peacefully. If we lose our lives, at least we know we've done it the right way. Learn about the earth, love the earth, appreciate the life that we're given from our Mother Earth, Papa Tuanuku. Without it, we have nothing. Learn about it. And there's so many debates about the sciences behind it. I can tell you firsthand, we have lost islands. Yesterday, Samoa was under so much water that fell over Samoa yesterday, there are floods. I could name islands that no longer exist. I'm speaking from a people that know So everyone needs to stand up. Everyone, if you're going into politics, don't change your ways because money, you can't live with money alone. You need our planet. You need to be sustained through what the earth provides us. People might think I'm crazy, but my people's lives depend on it. I agree with you. And I've always said we come from the earth. We're going to go back to the earth. And we only have this one earth. We need to take care of it. I just wanted to ask you, going back to the racism that you dealt with growing up, the reality is I know Australia is very multicultural, but racism is very real, even Mm -hmm. to this day in Australia, and there's probably people listening, young, old, that face it every day. What would you say to them to help them get through it? It's not a reflection of you, it's a reflection of the person. It happens in schools. You know, I have young people who tell me stories, you know, they will walk into an advanced maths class, one particular girl, this is only a couple of weeks ago, and the teacher said, oh, I think you're in the wrong class. And she said, no, sir, I'm in the right class. No, no, you can't possibly be in this class. 
my advice to especially young people report it don't take it upon yourself don't get angry just report it report it to the principal if the principal doesn't do anything take it further that kind of nonsense needs to stop everyone has a right to equal education in this country and they should be respected equally for anyone else show them who you are show them the goodness of yourself and hold your head up high that's all i can say i mean i face it when we go in to negotiate for an event and you know we've been the token brown people but little do they know i'm also half irish as much as my samoan side tells me to be humble and respectful my other side of me tells me that it's wrong so i will stand up i don't fear that there may be a corporate manager if you've wronged somebody that way it's not right it's not right to do that so i i often stand up for things like that and i will speak out i'm not scared of saying it but i think for young people especially you've got to report it in educational institutions going back to you in your roots who have you looked up to as your heroes your grandfather is one of them any other people that have showed you the way or you know played a huge role they didn't even realize yeah there were managers that i worked for i used to work for pacific media network broadcasting and he was obviously a mentor he passed away very young i had a boss in samoa who were women and then the prime minister of samoa is one person i do look up to there are many people that don't support him but i know him personally so i know that he's a man of the people too that's about my mom and my dad my sister at the moment dwayne johnson he's is a samoan actor great yeah many maori actors too the leader of new zealand jacinda ardern oh she's just giving people inspiration on so many levels you know she's nurturing she's smart she's powerful and she's a woman like she's not apologetic about being a woman and having emotions too you know and that's the thing some of these male leaders they seem to try and put her down and they'll play on her emotions it's ridiculous how did you come to be in this earth it was your mother it was the love of your mother that you are the person you are so it's funny when i hear men talk about her that way cuz it's hypocrisy at its finest ก็ได้ดีครับเพราะว่าเราตอบโจทย์ที่เราเรียนมาแล้วเราเรียนมาแล้วเราเรียนมาแล้วเราเรียนมาแล้วเราเรียนมาแล้วเราเรียนมาแ
I don't think I've said it enough, but thank you so much, Barry Jay, for what you do with the community, the purpose of Matabai and you. It's truly great. And sure. I hope that your future endeavours are reached and exceeded. <laughs> so do I. We recently donated over 20,000 of local currency to the Cancer Societies of Tonga and Samoa. As much as we, you know, need assistance ourselves, cancer is really claiming a lot of lives everywhere. And as much as it's hard, the treatment of cancer is hard in any country. It's even more so difficult in the islands. They don't have oncology, but the cancer rates are skyrocketing. So every year, this is the third year, we've put on, you know, a show to mark Pinktober, Breast Cancer Awareness, and to spark conversation around health um, our people's health is declining so we did a production love is bigger than cancer in auckland and the cabinet ministers came members of parliament came and we managed to fundraise you know to give to the cancer societies in tonga and samoa so we hope next year we'll be able to include fiji or just to help um, because so many and everywhere have been affected by this disease it's terrible and that's another way that our kids are learning that it's almost always better to give than to receive because there is some way that you'll be repaid whether it's not financial but the feeling of it you knowing that you've saved a life or helped somebody that's amazing, so, yeah, that's amazing. to summarize what would you like to say to the audience be kind just be kind everyone is on a journey people are challenged by life and before you lash out, you know, at a stranger or at each other, be kind, be considerate, have empathy. We need more people to help our community because we have young people and elderly people that need help and support. And there's really no time for us to be fighting one another when we could be helping one another and uplifting one another and bringing our community up with all the stereotypes around Western Sydney or Liverpool, it's not who we are at all. I've seen such greatness and beauty and love in this community and we should do more of it. Thank you, Thank you so much, Barry Jane. Thank you for having me. And all the best. making me cry. You're amazing. <laughs> to find out more, visit wsmrc.org.au forward slash S-A-M-E. Hey Harshi, did you know that this podcast is actually funded by the Multicultural New South Wales? No, I did not know. But yeah. did you know? I just found out. <laughs> did you also know that Audio Technica has funded much of this podcast as well? No, I did not. Thank you so much for letting me know. Yes, and thank you, Audio Technica and Multicultural New South Wales, for helping us bring the stories of the West in Sydney to the world. Mm-hmm.